the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. (coughs) The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Adam. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now we're in chapter 27, 1 to 33. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, And bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son... Listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, 
my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you a heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, we have a long, uh, long unfolding narrative that we're uh, looking at this morning and we didn't have time to read quite all of it. It goes on and uh, as Simon said earlier, it's good to go back and um, read, the, read the whole thing. But we read uh, the crux of it and it's quite a gripping story, isn't it? Uh, two brothers, twins, uh, going up against each other. Who's going to get uh, dad's blessing? It's uh, sibling rivalry, brother against brother. Uh, it's husband against wife as well. Rebecca's on Jacob's side. Isaac uh, wants to bless Esau. 
and it's tense. I think it's tense. It's a bit like uh, one of those movie scenes. There's, um, you know, those movies, there's lots of those scenes in movies where someone sneaks into somewhere where they're not meant to be and they're trying to get in and get out before uh, they get discovered. And they always, in the movies, they always get caught. But uh, Jacob sneaks in to get his father's blessing. And is he going to be able to get out, get out in time? Is he going to be able to get out and get out before Esau gets back from the hunt? Um, and Isaac kind of does it all very slowly. He says, oh, are you sure that you're Esau? You know, it's taking a bit longer than um, Jacob, hoped, Jacob hoped. And uh, and at the end, it says there scarcely, Jacob scarcely uh, gets the blessing and gets out of the room just in time uh, before Esau comes back from the hunt. He just gets away with it. Uh, pretty gripping story, isn't it? Uh, and it's great to be back in the book of Genesis again. Genesis is full of gripping stories like this. Uh, we, we here at church, we're going to do Genesis for the next six weeks. Uh, we're going to have lots of great gripping stories to look at. We're doing three weeks looking at the life of Jacob and then three weeks uh, thinking about the life of Joseph. And they're, they're gripping stories, they're famous stories, they're uh, familiar stories for lots of us. Uh, and it'll be fun reading and going through them together. But uh, the, the stories that we're going to be reading, they're, uh, they're not just exciting stories, they're also significant stories. Uh, they're significant stories as well, of course, for the people of Israel, uh, for the Old Testament Israelites, uh, and they're significant still for Jewish people today. These are the origin stories of Israel. These are, uh, you know, it's like the very first Iron Man movie. This is how Iron Man became Iron Man. Uh, these are the stories of how Israel became Israel. And you might know that Jacob, uh, who we're looking at today, he ends up being renamed as Israel, and he, he is Israel, and his 12 sons uh, are the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're significant stories just in history, and particularly history for the Jewish people. But uh, what I want us to see, uh, even more than that over the next few weeks, is that uh, these stories, they're actually also hugely significant for us. These ancient stories are hugely significant for us, even though uh, we are here in the year 2022, right? And it's uh, thousands of years after these stories have taken place. And, um, you know, we probably feel like we live worlds apart from these stories. But they are significant stories for us because they've been put here in the book of Genesis. And like the rest of the book of Genesis, they are here to teach us fundamental truth about the world that we're living in. So these stories aren't just stories, they're they're stories that have been put here to try and help us make sense of the world that we live in still today, every day. They're stories that give us the Bible's perspective on the world around us. They're stories that help us work out uh, what this world is all about. They're stories that help us work out why this world is the way that it is. And so over the next six weeks, as we look at these stories, uh, we're going to be asking those questions and starting today with the, with the story of Jacob and Esau. We don't just want to study these stories because they are interesting and because they're exciting. We, we don't want to study them like we're in um, some sort of uni-ancient literature course. We want to study them because we want to understand our world better. We want to work out whether the Bible's view of the world really stacks up. We want to let the Bible's view of the world shape us and teach us. And the question then is, so what is Genesis trying to teach us through these stories? I think the big question that Genesis is, is asking us, uh, the big question that Genesis has been asking for us is, where can we look in this world of brokenness to find hope? Where can we look in this world of brokenness to find hope? Where can we look to find encouragement? Where can we look when the world around us feels so broken and messed up? Where can we look for hope? And that is a question that matters, isn't it? I think that's a question that matters. I mean, um, we only have to think about Big days like we did, uh, like we do every week. Uh, we had big days this morning, and uh, like we do almost every week, we had some, some good things, but we also had some really hard things that are going on uh, in the life of our community at the moment. Sometimes 
we like to pretend that the world's a pretty good place and that things are okay and that we're all pretty happy. But, you know, every, every week we come in here big days and we are reminded that brokenness is never actually that far away, is it? We are in a world of sickness. We are in a world of broken relationships, a fragile world where death can strike at any time. And, of course, of course there is lots of good in the world and, and things can, of course, be going really well for, for good amounts of time. But we don't have to look too far away to be reminded that brokenness is everywhere, that it's all around us. And when you realise that, it's easier to sometimes start to wonder, well, what hope is there? You know, things are so messed up. Where, where can I go to find hope? And if that is how you're feeling today, well, Genesis then is your sort of book. Genesis is honest. It's realistic about the brokenness of the world and it's teaching us, well, where, where then can we look to find real hope? And the answer that Genesis gives us is that if we want to find real hope, we need to look to God. And we need to look to God and his plan to step in and bring blessing to this world of brokenness. In this world of brokenness, it's his blessing that we need. Uh, that word, blessing, uh, that's a key word in Genesis. Obviously, it's a key part of our story today. Jacob stealing Esau's blessing. And I just want to uh, zero in a bit on that word, blessing, this morning as we think about uh, the story that we've, we've had read out and that uh, we've had dramatized uh, with Lauren. I've got, I've got three points as we think about the story this morning, uh, as we think about blessing in Genesis. That's our first one, blessing in Genesis. Uh, I just want us to get a bigger picture of what uh, Genesis is talking about when it's talking about blessing. And then secondly, we're going to have a think about how Jacob tries uh, to get blessing and we're going to finish uh, by thinking about what it means for us to find God's blessing today. So that's, uh, that's how we're going to play things today. So first, blessing in Genesis. Because uh, blessing, blessing is a big deal for the book of Genesis. Uh, to see this, I actually, I just want to take a few minutes to remind us where we're up to in the book of Genesis. Uh, and, and it's good to know some of us were here for it and some, uh, some weren't, but, but lots of you would remember that uh, last year we did as a church make our way through, uh, through the first half of the book of Genesis. So that's why we're kind of picking things up right in the middle of the book. And um, of course, you can go back and listen on, to, on the podcast if you'd like to. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's 50 chapters long. Uh, and we're here in chapter 25, so we're halfway through. Uh, what, what we saw last year is that all the way through, Genesis has been teaching us fundamental truth about the world we're living in. Genesis 1, uh, it starts off with the creation of the world. It's teaching us that uh, this world that we live in isn't an accident. Uh, it's a world that's carefully and deliberately been crafted by God, God the Creator. And we, we are, of course, a part of that creation. We're made uh, to serve God and care for His world. And then you get to Genesis 3, and Genesis 3 showed us uh, the fall. You'll remember Adam and Eve and the sneaky snake who, uh, who tricks them into sinning. And, and the story of the fall actually shows us that, okay, this world has a problem. And we see that, of course, by looking around us. This world isn't how it was meant to be. This is a broken world that we're living in, and it's broken. Uh, because of what we see in Genesis 3, it's broken because of sin. Because rather than live for God, Adam and Eve, like Adam and Eve, we've, we'd rather try and be God rather than live for him and live his way. Someone asked me the other day, is, is the world's problem brokenness or is the world's problem sin? You know, is it, is it just broken? Are we victims or is it sin? Are we the guilty ones? And I think the answer that Genesis gives is, is both because it's our sin that causes the brokenness and brokenness causes more sin. They go together, sin and brokenness. Uh, but as Genesis continues, all we see is that the, the world is just getting more and more broken and sin is getting more and more prevalent. Uh, you have stories like Cain and Abel, who are like Adam and Eve, but even worse. And things from there on out just spiral down and down and down. And even uh, when humans kind of come together and try their best to make the world a better place, like at the Tower of Babel, sin uh, still gets in the way. And so you get through these 
first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis and you're kind of left wondering, well, where is the hope for this broken world? What's the hope for this broken world? And, and that's where we get to Genesis 12. And it, this is really important. This is, I think, what we want to just particularly notice as we come to the rest of Genesis is Genesis 12. I might even put uh, just the start of Genesis 12 on the screen for us. Because uh, when all hope seems lost, God comes to Abraham and he promises Abraham that he's going to act. Genesis 12. Humans aren't going to be able to fix the world. Humans aren't going to be able to deal with the bro- brokenness. We can't. We uh, it's our sin that caused the brokenness in the first place. But God, he is going to step in. He's, he's the God who knows how to take chaos and turn it into life. He could have wiped the word, world out, but no, he promises to take Abraham and he's going to take Abraham's family and he's going to give Abraham's family land and he promises Abraham a people and he promises Abraham that he's going to bless Abraham's family and he's going to bless actually the whole world through Abraham's family. There's that word, blessing. According to Genesis, it's blessing that the world needs. It's, it's blessing that what is what we need. When we look around and we see the world not as it should be, when we see the brokenness in the world, well, Genesis actually makes sense of it. Genesis explains, well, this is, this is the world how it is. It's, it is a broken world. But Genesis also gives us the reason for hope. Through Abraham and his family, God has promised to act. He has given us promises. He has promised the blessing that we need. Now, what exactly is this blessing that God's going to bring? How exactly is he going to bless the world? Well, Genesis is just the very start of the story and it's all a bit mysterious uh, at this point. It's going to be made clearer as we go through the Bible. But uh, in terms of, you know, the question of what is the blessing that the world needs? Well, you know, we've, we've just a church, we've just looked at actually the perfect book to think about it. We've looked at the book of Ephesians last term. Um, you remember Ephesians? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God's ultimate blessing, the blessing that the world needs is going to come through Jesus, the salvation that Jesus offers. And for now in Genesis, we don't uh, have all those details, but we know that it's blessing that the world, world needs. We know it's going to come through Abraham and through Abraham's family. And we go to our second point then, because as we move through Genesis, we're following Abraham's family. We're, we're trying to track how God is going to fulfill these promises. We're going to try and work out how he's going to bring this blessing, what it's going to look like. And so we come now to a new generation of Abraham's family, Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau. Let's just um, focus in again on the story that uh, Julie read for us. As, as, as we said before, we only had time to read part of a longer narrative. Uh, but it starts here at uh, chapter 25, verse 19. And this is, the, this is how it starts. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. All through Genesis, there are these key markers uh, that divide Genesis into sections. More literally, it says, uh, these are the generations of Abraham's son, Isaac. And you get it all through Genesis. Uh, These are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of of Terah. We've come here now to a new generation, uh, a new part of the book of Genesis, a new generation. It's time now to focus on Abraham's grandsons, uh, Jacob and on Esau. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Uh, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel the Aramean from Padam Aram and sister of Laban the Aramean. Uh, a few random names, but they become very relevant uh, very soon. We're going to hear more about particularly Laban, that one at the end there, uh, next week. And then verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? Um, Jacob and Esau, they're there 
Uh, we, we don't even know their names yet, actually. They're just two babies in a womb, and yet they're already fighting. Uh, they're jostling each other. They're wrestling each other. Uh, I don't know how many people uh, here at church like um, their UFC, UFC fighting uh, or that sort of thing. But, you know, if, if that's you, Jacob is your sort of guy. He's always fighting um, from before he's even born. He's always fighting. He's always scheming. This is the theme of his whole life. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to see that Jacob actually, kind of the crescendo of his life, is he actually fights God himself. So that's, um, uh, come back for that one, that's pretty exciting. But uh, here, here, the babies are, here the babies are fighting even in the womb. And I think it's, in some strange way, I think it's implied that already Jacob and Esau, they are in the womb, but already they're kind of trying to be the firstborn son. They already are trying to get out of the womb first. Um, in some strange way, the babies sort of already have this uh, awareness that, that there's this blessing on offer and this blessing generally in that culture would come to the firstborn. So uh, that they want to get that blessing that's been passed down from Abraham. Although normally it would come to the firstborn, but already in the very next scene we're told uh, that actually this time it's going to be backwards. This time it isn't going to be the firstborn who's get, who the blessing is going to be given to. Rebecca, uh, Rebecca said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord uh, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. It's all going to be back to front. Oh, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in the womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Uh, like Lauren said, big, buff and hairy. Uh, and after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named, ja- named Jacob. The babies are born. Uh, Jacob, he wrestled, he was grabbing Esau's heel. He's tried his best to come out first, but Esau is born first. Esau is the firstborn. Uh, and as I said, Esau comes out with, with red hair all over his body, which is hard to picture. Um, interestingly, this is one of the few Bible stories, actually, uh, where we actually have ancient pictures of what Jacob and Esau look like. So it's one of the, one of the only times we can be pretty confident what uh, Jacob and Esau look like. Here we go. Uh, there you go. No, there you go. That's, that's just a joke, just to keep you paying attention halfway through. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, you would have missed that. But, uh, but sorry, here we go. Two brothers. Uh, one's covered in red hair, the other one not. Uh, Esau is the oldest, uh, naturally based on the culture of the time. You would think it's going to be Esau uh, that's going to inherit the, the blessing promised to Abraham. Uh, you'd think it's going to be Esau's family who God's going to use to bring about blessing for the world. Uh, but we've already been told, actually, it's not going to be Esau. It's going to be the younger one. It's going to be Jacob that God's going to use to carry forward uh, his promises and his, his blessing. Uh, so we flip forward. We come to the second part of our reading that Julie read for us. Time has passed. The boys have been born. They're older now. Uh, they're grown up. Isaac's coming towards the end of his life, so he's ready to give a blessing to Esau. And Esau's already always been Isaac's favorite anyway. Uh, Isaac likes his meat, and Esau's a good hunter, so uh, you can imagine they would have had lots of hunting trips together. They're much closer than Isaac and Jacob are. Uh, and that's when we get to this, um, uh, this whole episode that uh, we've, we've been looking at today. Rebecca's on Jacob's side. Uh, she hears that Isaac wants to bless Esau, and so uh, and Esau's gone out hunting to, to get his dad his favorite meal. And so Rebecca, she thinks, okay, here's an opportunity. Uh, she tells Jacob to go and get a goat. Uh, they prepare the goat the way that uh, Isaac likes it. They put hairy skins on Jacob's arms. They put the clothes on him. They dress him up. Uh, and together, Rebecca and Jacob manage to pull off the trick. Uh, they manage to fool their old uh, blind father slash husband. It's pretty, uh, I don't know what you think of it, but it's pretty awful behavior, isn't it? Uh, deceptive, manipulative. Uh, Jacob's, <laughs> he, he lies, he, he pretends to be something he's not. 
Uh, and we, we actually, I don't think we know the half of it because in this culture, showing disrespect like this to your father uh, would be really just about as low as you can go. Uh, one question actually I have when I read all this is, um, I, I just wonder why, what they were thinking. Why did they, why did they go to this effort? What are they doing? I mean, for one thing, just because they trick Isaac and get him to kind of say words to the wrong, wrong person, is that actually going to... Is that actually going to count? I mean, if I rang up, um, I see Peter over there. If I rang up Peter on the phone and I managed to kind of do a really good impersonation of one of his sons and, um, you know, Peter, it's your son here and, you know, maybe I put in the right voice and maybe I could trick Peter into saying, I love you, son. And I could say, yes, tricked you, I got you. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't make me Peter's son, does it? Just because I've got him to say kind of some beautiful words, that just makes me look stupid and uh, sure, I've pulled off a good trick. But surely, you know, okay, they've tricked Isaac. Couldn't Isaac just take it back? Couldn't he have said, okay, you got me, you tricked me, I said the wrong words to the wrong person. Well, of course, I was really meaning for it to go to Esau, so forget that, take it back. Uh, I'll, I'll give the blessing to Esau instead. But for some reason, it seems very clear in the story, Isaac seems to know straight away, as soon as he's been fooled, that there seems to be some assumption that these words cannot be taken back. The words are powerful, they're binding. They've been said to Jacob, the blessing is now Jacob's. I'm not sure if we quite get exactly why that is and, and what's going on, but we do sort of get that at some level, don't we? Because we do understand that words are powerful and that there are some words you can't take back. Uh, the vows you make on your wedding day, for example. Uh, but the other thing, you know, you do think, well, what are Rebecca and Jacob really trying to do? The, I think the irony of the story, actually, is that Rebecca and Jacob, did they actually really need to do any of this? Rebecca had already, do you remember right at the start, she'd already been told that the, the older was going to serve the younger. That Jacob, she'd already been told that Jacob was going to be the one that was going to inherit God's promises. It's, it's Jacob that God has already promised to bless. God's, God's already made that promise. And so all these tricks, all this manipulation, all this pretending to be something he wasn't, it was never the way to go about getting God's blessing. All, all Jacob and Rebecca needed to do was trust God. They already knew what was going to happen. All they needed to do was trust in God's promises. His blessing was already promised. And, yet the whole, and so the whole scheme, all the stress, all the deceit, all the tricks, I'm not even sure it achieves anything. It was totally unnecessary. They couldn't force God's blessing. They couldn't, they couldn't stop God's blessing. They couldn't force God's blessing. It had already been decided. All Rebecca and Jacob achieve is hurt and pain. You know, they end up causing family division. Uh, as we read on, Jacob has to flee, he has to run away, he runs off to the east, that's where we'll pick up the story next week, he's off in the east with that guy Laban, he actually never sees his mother Rebecca again, they, they also cause pain to Isaac of course, they ruin Jacob and Esau's relationship and it's, you know, all this hurt and it's all for nothing. God had already promised to bless Jacob, the whole scheme, the whole deception, the whole, the whole thing, all, all it is in the end is an example of how you shouldn't go about getting God's blessing. What should Rebecca and Jacob have done? I think it's very clear they should have simply trusted in the promises of God. They should have just trusted God's promise. Let's go to our final point then. What does this teach us about finding blessing in the world today, in the world of brokenness? Uh, as we said earlier, we are, we are in a broken world. We see that all around us. Uh, Genesis making it clear that blessing is something we need in this broken world, something we want. How do we then, how do we go about getting blessing in this broken world well I think um, we can start by learning from Jacob's bad example I think uh, as we've seen in the kids talk I think Jacob is an example of uh, how a lot of the time we try and get blessing but it's not the right way to try and get blessing for one thing Jacob 
dressed up as someone else, didn't he? He covered himself with fur, he put on different clothes, he looked for blessing by trying to hide his true self away. Actually, can we do that? I think we can do that, can't we? We, we can look for blessing by trying to hide our true self away. You know, we think, maybe I'll be more likely to find blessing if people don't see me as who I am. I think we can maybe do that with God, maybe we can do that with each other. We can sort of think, oh, if people knew all this mess that was inside me, gee, I, I, think, I think things will go much better for me if I just put on a persona that shows me he's kind of a happy and together kind of person. I, I'm the sort of person who goes to church, I don't have too many problems, I don't have too many fears, don't have too many temptations. If people sort of see that me, that version of me, I think things will go better for me. I think I'll be likely to find more blessing. We, we kind of hide our true selves away. I think we certainly can have that attitude with each other, don't you think? And I think we can actually have that attitude with God as well. You know, we can, we can come to church and sing the songs and fit in with the crowd and play the game and maybe even, you know, pray the prayers and, and read the right things. But do we, do we come before God and give Him ourselves? Do we, do we come before God and actually show Him who we really are? Do we show God the flaws? Do we give ourselves to God? Do we show God our problems? Do we, do we pour ourselves out before God? Or would we rather try and get blessing by just sort of playing the game and hiding ourselves away? We try and get blessing by covering up who we are. God wants us to come to Him as we really are. Yeah, he, wants, he wants you. He wants to bless you. He, does, he wants to bless the real you. He doesn't want to bless someone you're pretending to be. Or perhaps, me, uh, perhaps we, uh, you know, maybe it's not so much that we deceive like Jacob and Rebecca did, but perhaps like, like, Jacob, like Jacob and Rebecca again, perhaps, perhaps it's more that we just try and go about getting blessing by taking things into our own hands. You know, Rebecca and Jacob, they should have just waited and trusted God's promise, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They, they couldn't sit still. They kind of had to come up with their own complicated scheme to try and get this blessing. They have the planning. They're trying to control everything. They're trying to get blessing uh, by their own initiative. Jacob, actually, this, is, this really is the theme of his whole life. He spends his whole life scheming, fighting for blessing. He can't just wait for God to bless him. Uh, but I don't know about you, I can certainly resonate with that kind of thinking. I, I'm not the sort of person who likes to sit back too much and, and kind of wait. I, I like to be in control. I'd, I'd rather take initiative. I'd rather scheme. I'd rather plan. I'd rather dream. I'd rather um, try and make things happen. And I don't think those qualities are necessarily bad qualities, but I think there is a danger uh, because, you know, well, at least I find that I'm not particularly good at just sitting, enjoying the blessings that God gives me. You know, I'm always trying to scheme and work out, you know, whether I can get more. I, um, we were on holidays a couple of weeks ago. We were having amazing fun. We were lucky enough to have a few days um, up in the snow and we were walking around this beautiful snowy village and at one point we were sort of walking down the street and there was a real estate sort of agent there with all the pictures on the walls of um, the different houses you could buy in the snow and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll just go and have a look at um, how much all these houses are in the snow and I was having a look and, you know, of course it's a bit of a pipe dream but, you know, then even in my mind I was, you know, for the next couple of hours I was thinking, oh, you know, imagine if you had a house like that, what you would do, how much you would go there, what it would be like and I kind of realised, you know, I was just daydreaming about these future potential houses I have and I was not even enjoying the snowy holiday that was right in front of me. Um, the irony was I was kind of dreaming of the future and getting distracted of the blessings that I had right, th- right there. Um, the, other, the other sort of holiday we, we like to take is, um, is camping holidays. We have a little camper trailer uh, that we take out to caravan parks and there's a bit of a running joke uh, in our family that you, we just take our camper trailer to caravan parks so we can look all around and look at everyone else's caravans and spend our whole time talking about what, what, how we could upgrade one day. Um, I don't stop to enjoy God's blessings that we have. I'm always thinking about initiative, what can I do, how can we be getting more blessing? And of course, there's nothing wrong with having plans and dreams and enjoying God's good gifts, but I think it is easy to start thinking a bit like Jacob and Rebecca, that by 
trying really hard and putting in all this effort in and controlling everything by scheming and careful planning. You know, maybe I can plan my way to a life of blessing. Maybe I can even plan my way out of the brokenness of this world. But actually, if we're honest, we know that whatever planning we do, however much success we make for ourselves, that we're still in this world of brokenness, aren't we? Whatever we do, tragedy is only ever just around the corner. And as the book of Genesis says, it's only God who can bring that real blessing that we need, the blessing that he promised to bring through Abraham and his descendants. Ultimately, we know that the blessing did come through Abraham's descendants, through Jacob's descendants. Eventually, as it says in Galatians 3, uh, the blessing that was originally promised to Abraham was made available to all people through Christ Jesus by faith. And we know this, if we follow Jesus, if we trust in the promises of Jesus, we have so many blessings, don't we? The blessings don't take us out of the broken world. Brokenness is still the reality. We're still in the broken world. We still have the hard things each week at big days. But even though we still live in the brokenness of the world, at least for now, we know that we are blessed. And remember again, Ephesians that we looked at last term, we're blessed with spiritual blessings. Remember, remember those blessings, we're chosen included in Jesus' family. We have redemption, we have forgiveness. That's, that's why it's so important to come to Jesus as we really are and not try and hide our real self away. We, we have to bring our sinful selves to God and be cleansed and be forgiven. We're giving the blessing of the, blessing of the Holy Spirit, a seal reminding us of the inheritance and life forever that's to come. None of those things at the moment take away the brokenness that's around us, but they do give us real hope. Real hope for the day when things are put right, real hope uh, real hope for the new heavens and the new earth. I don't think anything else can give us that sort of hope, the sort of hope that God and his promises of blessing can bring. You think that human ingenuity can make the world a better place? Of course, no doubt we can make some things better and achieve some things, but we can't bring the sort of blessing that this world needs. Our own scheming, our own efforts and plans, of course we can, we can do some nice things in our lives and have some nice experiences, but... None of those things are going to be there forever. No, no holiday house can help you to escape sin or disease or death. Sometimes I think we just think a bit too small. We think of the temporary, uh, temporary joys, comfortable life, nice holidays, a little bit of luxury. But they're nothing. They're nothing compared to the blessing that God's promises, God, God promises those of us who belong to Jesus. Life forever. A world put right. Life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the blessing that is ours if we simply wait and trust in our God and his wonderful promises. When we look around and see the brokenness, it's those promises. It's those blessings that we can set our hope on. He's a faithful God. His promises are sure. Through Jesus, his blessings that have been long promised have come to us. We don't have to plot or scheme or pretend. We just have to trust in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. It's real, it's honest about what this world is like. We see, Father, brokenness all around us. Like Jacob, we are in desperate need of your blessing. This world needs you. And we thank you, Father, for your promises through, through Abraham, the promises that have come to us through Jesus. It's so easy to find, try and find blessing by hiding ourselves, by scheming, by taking our own initiative, by plotting, by working for our salvation. But Father, help us to trust because your promises are sure. They're a firm foundation. Help us to trust and live for you. Amen.